Hey, everybody, and welcome to another amazing episode of Finding Peaks. Yours truly, Chris Burns, president and founder, better known as and more comfortable as recovery cheerleader. Uh, <laughs> seriously, more comfortable. People are like, I'm like, no, I'm here to cheer you on. Have my co-host here, Chief Clinical Officer Jason Friesma. Grateful to have you back on the show, Jay. It's good to be here, man. It's been a minute. Grateful to have yeah. you. Yeah. It's been about six weeks, and we are so grateful to have Rob Decker. Um, he's with Rise as Lions. It's a nonprofit here in Colorado Springs, working with people with mental health to get them integrated into the community through sport, fitness, connection, um, and healing. I'm so grateful to have Rob on the show today. I've really been looking forward to this episode, and um, Peaks Recovery is going to be um, faithfully sponsoring um, this softball program. And we want to continue to move in the direction of creating resources in the community that make sense for folks with mental health. Um, and we've been talking a lot lately on the show, I know I have, about the myth of normal mm. and kind of this counterculture and the fresh lens we get to stare through today and the opportunity to heal through that lens. Really, really cool. So grateful to have you on, Rob. Um, I want to start with what brought you into recovery? Uh, ne needing it myself? <laughs> <laughs> turns needing out we needed it. Right. Well, it turns out I had a lot of unresolved trauma in my life and it seeped out into other areas leading into uh, addictions. Mm -hmm. I was heavily self-medicating, you know, with pornography and drugs mm -hmm. and alcohol and fitness, even fitness, like, you know, became unhealthy for me. Mm -hmm. And so when I started seeking out answers and, and finding those answers, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta give this to other people, man. You know? Yeah. Absolutely, and it's so interesting because you have a little bit different of a story when you're seeking those answers. I think, you know, common culture, especially when we're struggling with addiction, right? right? We won't say mental health yet, but addiction. Right. I think the common thought process is I need to go somewhere, I need to check in, I need to get a treatment plan, I need to do all of these things. Right. And you did elements of that, but right. it was different. Your journey was different. Are you willing to just kind of engage a little bit with the viewers on that journey? What it looked like for you in those early stages? Well, for me, like I struggled with the thought of, you know, once an addict, always an addict mm. and staying attached to that because that wasn't my identity. What I realized in my in my journey was that I was self-medicating a lot because there was a lot of stuff that I was not dealing with. I didn't have the, the tools to deal with. There was a lot of burdens within me, a lot of uh, relationships that needed some mending. Right. And so you know, that was a little bit of um, my approach was like, well, how do I get away from the stigma of calling this thing a disease or that I was addicted? I need to get to the root of these problems. I have to understand my behaviors and how I got here. And, and I wanted to be that. I knew it was going to be super hard yeah. um, to unpack a lot of that stuff because now you're talking about childhood trauma and, um, you know, um, you know, behaviors that were created over time that needed to be dealt with. I had to rip the Band-Aid off, rip out the stitches, clean out the wound, and let things heal the, the right way. I, I just wasn't into the Band-Aid method. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And being able to see that clearly is tough, too, especially when you have so much energy in our culture telling us to do it one way. Right. Um, yeah. It can be really difficult. Yeah, and I'm kind of a re rebel in that sense. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I can figure out a better way to do it. <laughs> but, you know, but with the one way that was provided to me, I just saw way too many flaws 
and a form of codependency on that way, and I just couldn't buy into it, sure. man. I just, I was like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be other ways, mm-hmm. you know? And I know that we're all unique in our own ways, mm-hmm. and you know, working in recovery and with people in recovery, for someone it could be one thing. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that you alter that really can change their life, and for other people, there's five different modalities in order to reach that, that freedom that they need in their life. And mm-hmm. I know that we are all made differently, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and I always felt different. You know, so I guess I was in a place of wanting to do things differently. Yeah, right? I love it. It, it, <laughs> it really goes into one of our core values, and I've shared this with you, and that's to disrupt the industry. Right. And you are disrupting your arm of this industry and kind of the community-based resources that we have or don't have here in right. Colorado I and mean, throughout the country. And it's just, it really is a message of hope for me. Um, how has it been, Jason, on the clinical side of things, and I know we've discussed this before, but through the lens that you get to stare through and the opportunity you have to walk with clients and specifically your team, what has this new kind of energy brought about for your team that has really created a breath of fresh air, if anything at all? Yeah, I think listening to your story, the, the, well, I haven't even started yet. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> oh yeah, we're to the outline that. of your story. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, we really are looking at. Um, that we at Peaks, we treat suffering, mm. right? People are coming in and they're suffering. And it could be mental health, you know, depression, it could be addiction, it could be sex addiction, it could be a wide variety of things. But to your point, like the, these are all kind of symptoms of like what, what is really going on underneath all this. And, and very, very, very frequently it's uh, unresolved trauma for sure that is yeah. um, needing to be addressed and treated and, and moving away from you know, words like co-occurring or even, you know, we, we have to use them as a practicality, talk about mm-hmm. substance addiction and that yeah. sort of thing, substance use disorder. Um, but we don't even like to say the word addiction very much anymore mm-hmm. at Peaks either. Like right. we really try, are trying to meet people where they are. Um, and, and what we've been able to do with that is just create kind of a curriculum that just says, hey, we're just going to help. Everybody's kind of suffering. Mm-hmm. I, I've suffered in my ways. Chris has suffered in his. You've suffered in yours. And like, um, and and kind of if we kind of have a process to kind of get to the root at least of some of that suffering that we can get to so yeah. that's how i've seen it and it's it's invigorating yeah because otherwise it's it's a lot of labels differentiate people and, yeah. and i think to your point um it's very shaming to say i'm an addict and i'll always be an addict that's yeah it's a shame statement All right a hundred it's very shameful yeah. and that's just not a modality i could buy at yeah. all so i i've actually heard that it's a form of tribal humility humility to come together as a group and to shame ourselves like bro there's way better methods for me well I, I would actually say that's <laughs> that's tribal humiliation yeah tribal which is thing. not the same as humility i'm sorry humility. no but like it, correct yeah, yeah okay i yeah. I'm, I'm not clinical bro no, no, <laughs> yeah that's my seat that, yeah, yeah, you're 100 yeah. percent. so you exactly that's yeah. exactly what that was it's humiliate tribal humiliation mm-hmm. and to me i still don't see the benefit of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I still think there's better ways to go about it, mm-hmm. right? Because I think a lot of us, we go into our addictions and our self-medicating and our, mm-hmm. our poor relationships because of shame and mm-hmm. being attached to shame, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, I think we need to break away from that. Yeah, it, it, yeah to your point, it, it really is, and I steal Brene Brown's, it's a different kind of call to courage. Mm. I think it really is because I can't sit here five years ago 
you know, and, and call, my call to courage wasn't mental health. I, was, I just wasn't mentally healthy. I had a lot of people around me maybe that thought I was and were praising me because of the chip, but I wasn't, I wasn't in a place in my recovery where I could be courageous enough to work on some of the underpinnings that were informing my every existence, specifically my day-to-day behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it really is a call to courage, and, and it, it's, it's a call for all of us to show up together and to get this tent out broader and bigger and vaster than we've ever seen so that all of our friends, family, and the people, places, and things that we care about the most can see themselves within it. Right. Well, you know, out of love, like, I just want to see people free. And unfortunately, within some groups, like, I've been shamed. I've been, you know, I'm a white knuckler, or I'm a dry drunk, or this is what you really are. You're in denial. Like, no, that's that's not what any of this is. And I understand there's going to be resistance coming my way, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. I I mean, I I lived in a world where... um, I needed to perform to be liked, right? Like I had daddy issues as a kid, so I yep. perform, perform, perform. And, and I've gotten to a place in my healing and my journey. It's like, well, dude, some people just aren't gonna like me, right? And, and that's okay. Yeah. And I'm okay with that, but that doesn't stop the mission. Like I suffered from severe rejection and abandonment and neglect. Like, dude, in this process of building a nonprofit and helping our community, like those things are gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get neglected. I'm gonna get rejected, right? People are gonna abandon me in the process and that's okay, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not gonna, I'm, my eyes stay on the prize through the whole mm-hmm. process. You know, but he, anyone can have that. Mm-hmm. Like I truly believe with all my heart, mind and soul that anyone can have that freedom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and that's what I, like for me, I just wanna be a face for that and I wanna be an inspiration for that and I wanna go into our community and just give it to, to everyone. Mm-hmm. That's willing to be receptive enough to mm-hmm. receive it, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's great, man. And I, <clears throat> I wanna go back to something you said. You said daddy issues and those can mm. be right let's talk about it those can be i got double daddy issues let's like, step dad in <laughs> right, like, yeah, yeah. Let's go and, and those, those can really inform so much for young men mm-hmm. so much and I, I would like to explore with you kind of how that started kind of what it informed mm. and, and kind of what it brought you to kind of that mm. that overarching story that really kind of caught your attention so i got the two for one deal you know um when I was in fifth, uh, when I was five years old and I, I graduated kindergarten, and I came home and I brought home a certification. Hey, you graduated. It had, it had my name on it, Robert Yancey, right? Well, my dad informed me that that wasn't my real name because he wasn't my real father. So here I am like, oh, so you're not my real dad. So where's my real dad? So he's not around either. So the guy that's been calling me, my dad's not my dad, and my other dad's not to be found. Wow. And um, just the amount of rejection and loneliness that came with that. And early on in my life, I was a huge introvert. I just kept to myself until I started adapting a lot of behaviors of my, my dad. You know, he unfortunately was in drugs and alcohol and violent, and, you know, he had his struggles and demons that he never addressed right and I started to become him Mm. which led me to be this extrovert in a sense and that's the path it took for me so by the time I was 14 or 15 years old man man I was getting loaded drinking smoking weed and then all that just evolved to all these other drugs and eventually being addicted to cocaine Mm -hmm. right and and I mean to the point where dude I would drink a bottle of vodka at night and 
I'd wake up in the morning and take all these uppers just to get the party going. And that was my life, day in and day out, all through my 20s. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was life. And I know that I was numbing myself through that whole process until I eventually led myself into just a horrible relationship. Like, you know, there was this need for stimulation through these really wild relationships. Because someone that actually loved me and cared about me, that didn't work for me because I didn't right. understand that. Right. But what I understood was violence and, and aggravation and constant fighting. And so those were the relationships that were stimulating to me. And I eventually was so deep in one of those relationships that she falsely accused me of rape and attempted murder, which led to my uh, suicide attempt that left me with a severed spine, two broken arms, and a collapsed lung. And the outcome of that wasn't very good because the cops show up and hit me with rape and murder charges. You know, doctors are telling me you're never gonna walk again. If you do, you're gonna be fully medicated, like you're not gonna work, like, Sports and fitness, that's not part of your life now, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and that's, that's where it led. So the rejection of all that led to all these decisions as a, a teen and a young man. You know, and even at, when I sobered up, I was still that 15-year-old boy living in that 34-year-old body, mm -hmm. right? And so now I had to be like, okay, there's some work to be done, yeah. right? Because this little boy needs to go. Hey, there's a little kid that lives inside of me, you know, but I can't have the wrong little kid living inside of me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that's kind of where it led me. Yeah. And I, it's, I, I love that you bring up kind of that little kid inside. And I think this is a, a really great topic. And, and thank you for sharing so vulnerably. But in how that informs, right? You said I showed up at 15, mm -hmm. at 34. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we talk about developmental um, maturity sometimes in the developmental process. And oftentimes, how we do show up at that age. And you give a really good example of how that 15-year-old informs my every behavior in my 35-year-old mm -hmm. ecosystem. Absolutely. Um, and Which, I just... Just like your responses, your everyday responses. <laughs> like, yeah. that's how a 15-year-old Rob acts. Like, yeah. well, you gotta get it together. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Like, you gotta, you gotta put that little boy down. You yeah. Know? How are you able to make, because it really is, for me, it's been the journey of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you make that connection? And it really is, and I talk about it often, but it is kind of this million mile march from head to heart. Mm -hmm. How did you connect that? Because the story you just brought up, and I, only, I know you didn't get into detail, I mean, has a lot of people in our world right now feeling like they're gonna be disconnected for the rest of their life, mm -hmm. you know, and they have no hope. Right, well, you know, for me, I developed a relationship with God and, and that, that relationship with God gave me purpose and I understood that I was here for a reason and that reason was to take all my life experiences and share them with other people so maybe they don't have to walk a similar path as me. So I found out my whys and my purpose and, and that's what I went running with and in order to take it to the next step with helping and I'm sure you both see this in the recovery world you'll get the person that is gung-ho one year sober like oh, I'm gonna be a sober coach and I'm gonna lead the way but they haven't addressed their childhood traumas they haven't so when they come when that stuff starts to hit them bro, they haven't even processed their own stuff and then before you know it, they're hitting the bottle again mm -hmm. because they don't know how to manage all that and they have to self-medicate. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be that at all. I wanted to be the guy that was just free in my life. And so I had to seek and seek and search. And, you know, I had to figure it out myself and I was willing to do so mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted the quality of my life to be so grand that it just poured down on people. I, 
you know, I tell people a lot when I share about my family, especially my son, Caleb, you know, I want this ceiling in my life to be my kid's dance floor. Like, I want them to give such a leg up in this life mm -hmm. that they did, they'll have their own personal experiences, um, but they don't need mine, right? They don't need mine. And so I want to give them a different life so that they can take everything that I've done in, in community and life and make it greater. Because at the end of the day, I believe our purpose is to help people, guide them to the light, help them heal, right? And we can all just get along, bro. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and that's kind of what I want to do in our community and raising a family is I want to be that light, right? But being that light means you're going to have to go through a whole bunch of darkness and address some things. And you're going to get into your house that you grew up in. You're going to have to open up some doors. And you're going to open up somebody. And you're going to let some stuff out, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and there's going to be some dark stuff in there, mm -hmm. you know. And so even if I haven't completely, I want to say, healed from certain situations, I've developed enough tools to be able to cope with things when things get hard. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes we don't completely heal. Like when I start talking about certain things in my life, I might get teary eyed. Sure. Right. It still impacts me. Right. But now I can deal with it. Right. Now mm -hmm. I have the tools. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the mental maturity to cope with those things. And get through them now, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And again, I believe anyone can have those things. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I love what you said with the why and purpose. Mm. I mean, you want to see somebody in early recovery take off like a wildfire. Show them their purpose. Mm -hmm. Put it in front of them. We, we talked before the show, you were meeting with a, another guy in recovery. Yes. He was sharing in purpose, and you were like, I want to help you highlight this and enhance right. it and be a part of it. And he was like, me, really? Right. And it's just the opportunity we get to see people light up when they know that they're seen, heard, and valued. Right. It's incredible. Well, and a lot of us, so the guy that you're talking about, uh -huh. like he grew up in a big family, so he was never seen. Mm. And I felt the same way, like, bro, I'm you, you know? <laughs> and someone gave me a shot, yeah. right? I'm not, dude, I see, like, I see in you what you don't see in you right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to help you. I want to help you through that process. I want to, I want to hold your hand, bro. Yeah. Like, let's, let's do this together, man. And then what, what you're going to do is you're going to see somebody in a similar situation, and you're going to go help him. And that's how change happens, right? Beautiful. That's how change yeah. happens. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. We want change, yeah. right? We want transformation. I don't want a change in human behavior. I want true transformation. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Yeah. You know, it's easy to put down the drink, right? Well, I wouldn't say it's easy to put that in the I'm going to retract that. But, <laughs> but it's one thing to put down the substance in the drink, but not address the stuff that led to that, right, mm -hmm. to that behavior. But how do we get deeper so there's a true transformation? So I can actually walk into a bar with all this alcohol. Everyone smells like mm -hmm. liquor. It doesn't even fade you, right? right? Not a, like, yeah. I don't have to run, oh my God, it's liquor. Ah! Like, yeah, no, I want to be there, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and to be able to have a sincere conversation with someone who's struggling, right? Like, yeah. you know, and, and that's, that's the transformation that I'm hoping to mm -hmm. see through everything that we're doing in our yeah. community, right? It's a beautiful thing, man. And it's a, it's a transformation and a story of which our young ones can hear. I remember in the early stages of being a father, um, two, three-year-olds, three, four-year-olds, and trying to explain my recovery at that time, even just three, three four years ago. Um, and they're like, they look at me like, hey, you're not making sense. <laughs> and now from this mental health piece and the way that we talk about love and connection and mm -hmm. community and family, they're like, makes sense, dad. Yeah. Makes total sense to, to yeah. my seven-year-old who now um, can critically think a little bit. He's right. like, man, that checks out really good, dad. And right. he just kind of, and what you said, man, I'm gonna steal it and put it in my pocket because everything I say is from somebody else that I heard along the way. 
Um, but I want my kid, my ceiling to be my kid's dance floor. Mm -hmm. And I know what you meant by that. It had nothing to do with money. It was mental health. Mm -hmm. From a mental health mm -hmm. perspective, I want it to be as mentally healthy. The best I've seen is the worst you'll ever see. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I don't want people, you know, I, I don't want my kids having to chase people's approval. No. They have mine. Yeah. Right? I love you. I remember the first time my, my kid struck out, like, we already moved the kid up a level in baseball. Like, dude, you're doing good, bro. <laughs> but he doesn't get his five, right? And he struck out, and it just it ripped him. And I was like, you know what, bro? You can strike out for the rest of the season. And guess who loves you? Daddy loves you, bro. Yeah. Daddy loves you. So where it was different for me, yeah. well, it was different for me, right? Like, yeah. that wasn't the same response, right? It's just like, yeah. you know, you're not basically clean version you're not doing sure. your job right, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you strike out knock it down a few no levels. you're grounded yeah, yeah you struck out yeah right? yeah, 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 yeah bro so yeah, yeah. you yeah. know and so i want to be able to provide and, and even within that like i've noticed like i've even cleaned up so at one point i remember you know my son fell down and you know the things like that were said to me about hurting and crying yeah. right like they were pretty hardcore you know and, and i remember the first time it really happened to my son i was like hey dude get up and shake it off bro you're good and in that moment, I realized, dude, I just cleaned up what my dad said. I just gave you, you know what, bro, come here. You know, and I, and I embraced my son. He just needed, like, dude, yeah, yeah we're going to do this together, yeah. you know. And, and, and I realized that even in those deep-seated traumas, like, there's still some, some behaviors that seep through. And that was one of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, that was learned. I learned that. And yep. I cleaned it up, my version of it. But it just wasn't good enough, not for my kid, yep. you know, not for what I'm trying to pave for my family. Yeah. Things have to be different. And there's a lot of work in that, bro, because yeah. you're constantly mindful. You're constantly aware, like, bro, <laughs> my head hurts. <laughs> 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 right? Yeah. But it's, it's worth it. Yeah, it's it, 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 it really right? is, man. Um, right. And I love that, too. And I can remember that coming up in my head. I'm like, get, chill out, Chris. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, get yeah. your ass. Whoa, you suck know. it up, buttercup. Yeah, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> my kid would be like, what the fuck? What is this? <laughs> Where are the buttercups? Like, I want one of those. Yeah, that like, sounds good, I'm, man. I'm hurting. I'm crying. Yeah, I'll do a snack. <laughs> yeah. Feed me, Dad. I'm crying. Yeah. Like, uh. I want to I wrap up with, um, yeah. and I, I've just appreciated this, the authenticity in the show and, and your story and your journey and your willingness to come on and share with the community yeah. so much. But I want to check in with Jay as, as we wrap up and, and maybe talk to the viewers a little bit, how you're informing the clinical team to walk with people throughout this journey to make that million mile march from head to heart. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think so much of it comes down to uh, ma maintaining curiosity with people, like never being very certain about what their experience is and, and always uh, recognizing um, somewhere early in my training as a clinician too, somebody told me that all behavior makes sense in context. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody is in our program and they are freaking out or they wanna go home or whatever it is that's going on and, and it feels confusing, it's our job not to like be like a hammer necessarily, but it's like, well, somehow this makes sense for this person and let's just help them find how this makes sense. A little bit of what you're sharing, Rob, like. You know, like your response to your son when he fell and you, you, you cleaned up your dad's version. There's a reason. I mean, you inspected it yourself because you're, you're insightful like that. But like there's something that drove that. And, and that energy was like from your dad and your authentic response was like, I just need to nurture this little boy who fell down. Like yeah. that's, that's what a parent will do in this situation. I don't mm -hmm. have to tell him to dust it off and like get up and keep going, even though that 
was certainly more encouraging than you were saying. <laughs> yeah. like, I, think, mm -hmm. I think overall, like, um, just kind of uh, holding on to that aspect and not, um, not focusing on behavior so much, but really mm -hmm. trying to get to know somebody. And, and that's where the change occurs, yeah. uh, inside out, not necessarily. I mean, we have to have mm -hmm. some in, outside in yeah. correction as well. But like, I think a lot of it is like, how do I change this inside part? Yeah. And then the result will be Mm -hmm. a, a change in my outward behavior. Yeah. I think and and you, you can you, see that in the ecosystem too. It's yeah. just. Well, do, do you find it like, is it common for you to see like the unwillingness for a lot of your clients or patients to let go of the things that have happened in their childhood or do they not recognize the toxic behavior that took place because it was so normalized for them? And yeah. like to be able to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time uh, in our curriculum and at, at Peaks, like helping people gain a lot of insight, right? Because I, I certainly could believe that it's really difficult to change something you're not aware of, right? Like, and I think, um, so we do spend a lot of time like, okay, what is driving this? What are you grieving? What, mm. what ruptures have you had in your family system? Or what developmental milestones did you kind of get hammered at? Like the story you shared about like, proudly coming home, graduating kindergarten, and like mm -hmm. get this like shocking news dropped on your lap like you're an adult, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. That that creates a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like you weren't ready as a little kid to walk through that yeah. without some support and all of that. And like, so once people realize that, then we can kind of build in the skills behind that and build in some strategies for kind of walking through that and being able to recognize when I'm kind of getting outside of myself in this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I see that even with my parents at that time, like they just didn't have the tools and the skills for all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and now I look back and I think a lot of what has provided healing in my life is that I saw my parents as, you know, messed up human beings like myself that faced a lot of trauma and never resolved it, you yeah. know? And, and, you know, just being able to forgive them mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, you did your best, you knew, it, you know, that right there, the weight that came off my shoulders, it's like, man, and the amount of healing, just like, you're just... Mm -hmm. I think that we put our parents on this pedestal and I think that anyone listening like you know a lot of times we still have strife with one of our parents you mm -hmm. know and you know forgiveness is a pretty powerful tool yeah <laughs> just just it, saying it really is and I and to your mm -hmm. point like sometimes we do like these family trees too where it's mm -hmm. like yeah your parents are probably messed up but they probably had messed up parents yeah, you know what I mean like down. Yeah. it, was it just does like and, yeah and it does take somebody to dig their heels in and say mm -hmm. I'm 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 making my ceiling, my kids. Well, floor, I'll, you know I'll I mean? tell like, you this, like breaking the chain is work. Breaking those like devastate, it's work. Yeah. But like, I believe we're in a, a, a generation of culture where we need to, mm -hmm. a, a lot of us really just need to. Yep. And, and that's going to shift our culture if you can break away. Because I just yep. think, again, we're going to go back to shame and yep. all that stuff. Like <clears throat> people are walking the streets in shame right yep. now and their behavior is, mm -hmm. you know. And I love, that, I love that we're pushing up against this wall that has been so normalized in our recovery culture for so long. Um, because the people that we have the opportunity to serve really, really deserve it. Yes. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's really cool to be aligned with people like yourself in the community kind of fighting that same fight and talking about important issues that need to be explored a bit more thoroughly 
not only for young men, but young women as well. Right. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, Rob. No, I, I yeah. thank you for having me. Yeah. It's an absolute pleasure, bro. Yeah, it's been so cool, and man. Thank you for what you're doing with us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, that's huge. That's yeah. huge. I mean, when, when someone comes alongside you and says, hey, we're about what you're doing, mm -hmm. that's encouraging. Yeah. And I appreciate it. That's thank cool. you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, until next time, uh, find us on, man, it's been a minute, Instagram, podcast, TikTok, TikTok Spotify. I've been a little bit off TikTok lately. been working on some grief, but I'm going to get back on here soon. <laughs> it's funny when I'm doing my grief stuff, I'm like, TikTok, ah, yeah. it's tough, man, Please. to get super pumped on it. Well, on top of everything else, right, like all these other platforms. Like. Yeah, but until next time, it's been a pleasure. Peace. <laughs>